Would you take your your pew Bibles and stand with me and read Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. This is our main scripture verses over the course of the next few weeks, and want us to begin our time each week reading through these three verses. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Amen. You may be seated. So during this Advent season, this four weeks before Christmas, we are looking at Jesus, the one who came to be God with us, that he fulfilled the Old Testament leadership responsibilities of prophet, priest, and king. And last week we talked about Jesus as the anointed prophet sent by God, and this week we're going to be talking about Jesus as the priest. Uh, Next week our youth are going to be going to be presenting, I don't want to say performing, because I know that they are really seeing this as an offering of worship to God, but they'll be presenting a Christmas play uh, to us that will communicate uh, the importance of the Christmas story. And then uh, the week before Christmas, we'll look at Jesus as both King and as Savior. So do join me in prayer as we turn to God's Word. Father, we, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that it continues to speak to us. Lord, and I pray that your spirit would, would speak to each one of our hearts today in exactly the place where we need it. If we need encouraged, that you would encourage us. Uh, Father, if we need, we need you to reveal uh, our sin to us, that you would do that. That for all of us, that we would know and, and grasp on more strongly to who Jesus is. In his name we pray. Amen. So I want to begin this week with where we, where we ended last week. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. Hebrews 4, 12 through 13. The writer of Hebrews says this, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account." Last week, we talked about how the primary role of the Old Testament prophets was to bring God's word to Israel. There were seasons in Israel's history when the kings were leading the people astray, where the the priests were failing to carry out the duties that God had given them to teach people the law. And in his grace, 
God would send a prophet who would speak God's word to Israel and call them to faithfulness. And so last week we talked about how the work of the prophet is to speak God's word. And here in Hebrews chapter 4, the writer of Hebrews says some things to us about the role that the word of God plays in our lives. And it says here that it exposes us. It lays us bare. We can't hide from it. And because we are sinful people, his word brings God's perfect judgment on us. It shows the ways that we have fallen short of the perfection and the glory of God. And and so sometimes it's very uncomfortable to hear the word of God spoken to us, isn't it? I mean, he describes it as what? As a sword. (laughs) A sword is painful. It does a, a painful work. So sometimes hearing God's word is painful to us. But that same sword that pierces is also a work of God's grace that reveals the truth about us. The word of God given to us by the prophet reveals that our sin leads to death. I'll just give you a a little illustration to help us understand this from maybe a way that we can um, think about it in our own lives. Many of you have had the terrible experience, and many of us fear the terrible experience of, of going to a doctor... And that doctor coming in and telling us that there's bad news, there's, there's cancer or, or some, other, some other problem. That's bad news. It's a painful word. It's, it's a condemning word. But the doctor's word is not what put the cancer there, right? The cancer already existed. The doctor is revealing a truth about the patient. God's word reveals to us what is true about us that we didn't know before. This is why we talked last week about the prophet shedding light, bringing us out of the darkness. The prophets came to the people of Israel and shed light in their darkness, opened their eyes so that they could see what was true and what was going to happen if they did not turn from their sin and to turn to God So the fact that our sin leads to death is something that we can't know without God's word to us because sin usually doesn't feel like death. Sin is not usually painful. In fact, it often feels right. It often feels good to us. Eve was tempted by the serpent in the garden by a piece of fruit that was what? Pleasing to the eye and good for food. That's always the way that sin is. It is pleasing to the eye, and it feels like the right thing for us, but the scriptures remind us that it leads to death. And so when the word of God is spoken, and when our hearts are open to hear it, it does cause pain. It it can cause shame and guilt. It feels bad. It's a word of judgment on us. But that same light that shines and exposes us and brings right judgment on us is the same light that provides a way out. The doctor who gives the word about cancer is the same doctor who has an idea about how to treat it. The prophet tells us that our sin leads to death. It's a terrible word, but it is a word that we desperately need to hear if we want to live, if we don't want to continue to walk in this way of sin and death. 
So the prophet speaks this word of God and exposes the sin that is in us. It, it tells us that the evil in the world is not out there. It's not only in other people. Evil in the world, it, it, it's not just in the Hitlers and the Stalins of history. The evil in the world is, is not only in the, the economic and political structures of our world. Evil is in here. And so there's a problem that's created because we know that God is at work right now in the world to rid the world of evil. And don't we want him to do that? But if the evil is in here, if God wants to rid the world of evil, he's got to get rid of us, right? So we have a problem and so what we need more than anything is someone who can solve this problem. We need a priest. The work of the prophet speaks God's word to us. It reveals the sin that is in us, and it reveals the consequences of that sin, that, that sin leads to death. And so the work of the priest is to cover over our sin and to heal us of the evil that is in us. The Bible tells us that there are at least two consequences to our sin. And the first is something I've already mentioned today, that, that sin leads to death. And it leads to death in every way. Adam and Eve's sin brought physical death into the world. One of the first things that happened after they sinned was that an animal was killed in order to make clothing to cover them. Adam and Eve were separated from the tree of life in the garden. In the very next story, after the fall, what happened? We have Cain and Abel and the sin that causes a murder to take place between these two brothers. And we see that reflected throughout the stories of Scripture, that sin brings about physical death. Sin also brings about spiritual death. It brings about separation from God. Adam and Eve in the garden had direct access to the presence of God. After their sin, that presence they no longer experience. And I want to suggest to you that this is really our primary problem as human beings. And I would argue that the entire biblical story, and when I first came here and preached that sermon series on the Bible and God's mission, we, we talked about this entire biblical story can be read about a God who created a world where he desired for his creation to experience his presence. How that presence was lost and how God is at work in the world to restore our ability to experience his presence. Milton wrote a book called Paradise Lost, and certainly paradise was lost in our sin, but presence of God lost is really our problem. It's really the great tragedy. So, spiritual death, separation from God and his presence uh, it was a result of our sin, this spiritual death. There's also another consequence to our sin that Scripture talks about as well. And that is that our sin, I've been thinking all week about what word to use. Um, the Old Testament talks about the word defiled, uh, but we don't really use that word very much. And so uh, the word I've come up with is that it pollutes. That, that sin pollutes or it poisons or it contaminates. It, it defiles our world. And it defiles our relationships. You didn't know it was going to be the wrong day to sit right there, Robert. 
Robert, I want to say, what would happen if one day I stole $100 from you? And you caught me. And I said, ah, Robert, I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? Here's your $100 back, and I'll give you even an extra $10, you know, to make up for your trouble. And let's say, Robert, that you forgive me, and that there's actually reconciliation, that we're, we're still friends after that, that Robert, being the, the good friend that he is, he forgives me, and he, he looks past it. But I want to ask the question, is our relationship still the same? Is Robert going to trust me in the same way that he did before? He's not. Our relationship has been polluted by sin. And you can really use that for just about any sin that we commit, and any sin especially that we commit against other people, that our sin pollutes or contaminates our relationship. And even when there is forgiveness, there is something that is lost. There's something that is lost when sin takes place. And so our sin does not only have the impact of causing our death, but it also has this negative impact on the community that we live in. The Old Testament even talks about an individual sin defiling the land. It pollutes it or it corrupts it. When we sin, it, it cultivates a community that lacks trust, creates an environment of suspicion. It creates an unhealthy community. Our sin has an impact, even the Old Testament says, on the ground that we stand on, on the cities that we live in. There's a problem for us. There's this evil within us. This sin causes death. It causes separation from God, and it pollutes our world, and it pollutes our relationships. And so this is why we need a priest a priest to take care of these problems once and for all. So I want to talk a little bit about the Old Testament priests and some of their responsibilities, and I want to talk about two things primarily. First of all, I want to talk about the temple. So in your notes, if you're taking notes, right there where it says the Old Testament priests, priests next to it, write temple. And I also want to write, talk about sacrifices. Temple and sacrifices. The temple was all about the presence of God. Whenever you're reading the Bible and you read something about the temple or the tabernacle, think in your head, we're talking here about the presence of God. The presence of God that was lost to humanity when they sinned. God in his grace and mercy provided a way for people to have access to the presence of God in the temple. And throughout the Bible, there are stories and stories and stories about temples. Eden itself was considered a temple, a place of the dwelling place of God. Adam and Eve were told that they were to work and to tend the garden. Interesting, the priests are said that they are to work and to tend the temple. The same two Hebrew words are to describe Adam and Eve's work in the garden and the priests' work in the temple. Eden was the first temple, the dwelling place of God on the earth. And then as we go on in the Old Testament story, there is the tabernacle and the temple where we'll talk about in a minute, where, where priests offered these sacrifices so that people could experience uh, the fellowship and presence of God. As we move on in the story, in the book of Ezekiel, it describes the presence of God leaving the temple. 
And this was the great tragedy for Israel that God would remove his presence from the midst of his people. After that happened, where in the storyline do we read about a temple next? Jesus. Jesus says, my body is this temple. Destroy this temple and I will raise it up again in three days. Jesus is the dwelling place of God on the earth. Where do we read about temples next in the scriptures? Pentecost. The spirit of God, the the personal presence of God comes and dwells in people. No longer in a temple made by the hands of men, but in people. And so the church is described as a temple. And even your own body, Paul says, is a temple, a dwelling place of God. And then finally, we read about a temple in Revelation 21 and 22. The holy city, the dwelling place of God, comes out of heaven and dwells and is here on earth, comes out of heaven to earth. And so John, in John 21 and 22, communicates this vision of this future garden city temple that comes out of heaven from God, and all of these images and hopes of Israel, the restoration of Eden, the restoration of Jerusalem, the restoration of the temple, all of those are there in John 21 and 22. It's that time, that promise that we hope for when the whole earth will be filled with the presence of God. His presence will be so near to us that he'll wipe away every tear from our eye. So, moving backward in the storyline of the Bible, the temple in the Old Testament was the special dwelling place of God on the earth. His presence was there in the temple in a unique way. And the work that was given to the priest, the responsibility that was given to the priest was to enable God's people to draw near to the presence of God. And so this is where we have to talk about sacrifices. The responsibilities of the priests were to offer sacrifices that would enable God's people to draw near to the presence of God. This sounds really strange to us, doesn't it? But every day, there would be hundreds of animals ritually sacrificed in the temple. And these sacrifices were made as a way to solve those two problems of the consequences of our sin. Death and the pollution or the defilement that is caused by our sin. I want to read a few verses from the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 4, 27 through 30. And if you want to read about uh, the sin offerings that were offered, you can read the entire book of Leviticus, and there are some specific instructions in Leviticus 4 uh, through 6. But I want to read a few verses that just give you a bit of a taste of what happened when someone went to the temple to offer a sacrifice. Leviticus 4, 27 through 30. If any of the common people sins unintentionally in doing any of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done and realizes his guilt, or the sin which he has committed is made known to him, he shall bring for his offering a goat, a female without blemish for his sin which he has committed, And he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill the sin offering in the place uh, place of burnt offering. 
And the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger and sprinkle it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out all of the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. If you have ever read through Leviticus, you know how repetitive it is, right? There are dozens of descriptions just like this talking about how a sacrifice should be made in response to this or that sin. And as you read through it, it's one of those books that we really like to get through as quickly as possible, right? Very strange to us. It's very foreign to us. It seems very boring. But I want to tell you that if you actually had to do this, it was not boring at all. There's nothing boring about this. Just imagine what you actually had to do. You had to get a goat and take it to the temple. You'd go in and you would wait in line and watch as offering after offering after offering after offering was offered. And then you, it would be your turn and you would go to the altar and you and the priest would, I guess, kind of pick up this innocent goat and place it on the altar. And then you didn't get to walk away while the priest did its work, did his work, did you? You placed your hand on the offering while the priest took a knife to the throat of the goat and cut its throat in jugular. And what happened? Blood was everywhere. All over the priest, probably on you, running down the altar. There's nothing boring about this. This is an exciting moment, to say the least. This happened hundreds of times a day. Sometimes with birds. Other times with bulls. You imagine a bull? What it took to get the bull on the altar itself? Hundreds of times every day person comes with an animal. The animal is taken to the altar. The person's hand is placed on the head of the animal. The animal's throat is cut and dies there on the altar, and the blood of the animal is sprinkled onto different parts of the temple. Over and over again, every day, year after year, the animal dies, its blood is sprinkled. The animal dies, its blood is sprinkled. The animal dies, its blood is sprinkled. The Bible talks about two consequences to sin. Death and the pollution that our sin causes in our relationships and in our world. And so these sacrifices of these animals made by these priests, the killing of the animal and the sprinkling of the blood by the priests in the temple, which, remember, was the dwelling place of God, were the solution, or at least pointed to the solution, of the consequences to sin. When a person took an innocent animal and placed it on the altar, his own hand was placed on the head of that animal to represent that this animal was going to die in your place. Whatever sin you committed deserved death, and now God in his mercy is going to make a way for something else to die so that you can live. And you had to watch it all happen. If God wants to get rid of evil in the world, he would have to get rid of us. And so he provides a way, provides a way for sin and evil to be dealt with. 
so that we can live. This animal would pay that first consequence of sin. It would die in your place. The second part of this is the sprinkling of blood around the different parts of the temple. This symbolically represented the purifying of this pollution that our sin caused. The blood cleans up the pollution of our sin. This was a symbol reminding God's people that the effects of our sin are not only our own death, but it was a pollution that was caused that dirtied up the world. And so this sacrifice was made and this blood was sprinkled at different parts of the temple to symbolize this purification or this making clean. Turn with me to Malachi chapter 2. Malachi is the last prophet of Israel before John the Baptist, and his book is the the last book of the Old Testament. And in this book, the prophet Malachi is sent by God to give a warning to priests. I'm going to begin by reading Malachi 2, verses 1 through 6. And now this admonition is for you, O priests. If you do not listen, and if you do not set your heart to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them, because you have not set your heart to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will spread on your faces, my translation says the offal, which is an awful translation, because nobody uses that word. What does your translation say? Feces or dung. I will spread on your faces the feces from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this admonition so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace. Remember that. You will know that I've sent you this admonition so that my covenant with Levi may continue. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace. And I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in all of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin." This covenant, this agreement that God made between himself and the Levites, who were the the tribe of priests, was a covenant that was founded on life and peace. The responsibilities of the priests were to promote and encourage and enable Israel to have life and to live in peace. And this is what the sacrifices were all about. An animal dies so that a person can continue to have life. And peace, our sin, creates this disruption between Robert and I. But these sacrifices were made, and this blood was sprinkled in order to heal, in order to clean this pollution that our sin causes, and this disruption that is caused in our, because of our sin. God's purposes for the priests was to use them to bring life and peace to the people of Israel. But 
the priests failed in this task. Verses seven through eight. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, and from his mouth men should seek instruction, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. But you have turned from the way, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people, because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law." So the priests were given this responsibility to promote life and peace through the work that they did, but they failed in this task. They, they used their position in order to take their own advantage, in order to um, benefit themselves. They failed in this calling of communicating life and peace to the people of Israel. But God promises that his covenant with Levi must continue. It's a covenant that will, he will keep himself, even if the priests of Levi fail to keep it. He will be faithful to that covenant. And he was faithful to that covenant, even when the priests failed. He was faithful to that agreement by sending Jesus, our great high priest, who came and did not only make a sacrifice for us, but became himself the sacrifice that we needed. After hearing this sermon today, I encourage you this week to read Hebrews chapter 8 through 10. I was tempted to simply read those three chapters uh, to finish my sermon today, but I'll just read a couple parts of it. As we finish here, I want to talk about Jesus, our high priest, and how he fulfills this covenant of life and peace. The death of Jesus on the cross makes it possible to bring us into the presence of God and for us to experience life and peace. I want to read Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 14. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle or temple that is not man-made, that is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by the means of blood, of goats, and of calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood having obtained eternal redemption. Redemption over everything, right, Rona? Over all things. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, will cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. The writer of Hebrews finishes this 
explanation of all the purposes of the sacrifices and how they all point to Jesus. And he gives us this wonderful invitation. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. Let us experience the presence of God. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised, he who made a covenant of life and peace with Levi, he who promised is faithful. I want to finish this morning by taking a minute for us to be quiet before God and to ask him, each one of us, that Jesus the prophet would come and do his work. Jesus the prophet would come and do his work. That he would reveal to us, that he would shed light into our hearts and minds, that he would expose our sin to us so that we can know the truth about ourselves. So we no longer will walk in the way that leads to death. That will no longer cause pollution in our lives and in the world and in our relationships. That he would reveal that hard but good and merciful truth to us. And that then, that you would receive, that you would receive the work of your high priest. Who comes to you and who sheds his own blood so that you can enter into and draw near to the presence of God. Let's take a few minutes of silence and ask God to do a work in us so that we may respond to him and find life and peace. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have sent your son, your anointed prophet, and your anointed priest. We thank you for the word that you speak to us that reveals the truth about ourselves. Lord, I pray that we would, that we would feel today the consequences of our sin that we would know today that our sin requires a death. And Lord, may we know and give you great praise and thanks that you became for us the death, that you died that your body was broken and that your blood was spilled out so that we can live. We thank you, God, for this work. We thank you that you are 
ridding the world of all evil and sin and injustice, and that you are doing it in such a gracious way so that we can experience life and peace. Amen.